episode of Sleep Whispers. I'm Harris, and this is my curious little podcast of whispered ramblings and whispered readings, which I hope will calm and tranquilize those pesky squirrels in your brain so you can and fall asleep. This is episode number 225, and specifically, it's a storytime episode featuring The Boots of Fortune by Hans Christian Andersen. If you'd like to enjoy over 250 more episodes, of Sleep Whispers, including lots of storytime episodes, just like this one, then feel free to click the link in the show notes, or visit sleepwhispers.com. You'll also find links to relaxing episodes of 8-Hour Nature Sounds, headphones for bedtime, and my current Sleep Whispers t-shirt giveaway. There are only 13 entries right now, and just a few days left, so check that link out before the giveaway ends on October 16, 2020. All right. Tonight's story is The Boots of Fortune by Hans Christian Andersen, with some edits by me for suitability for this podcast. Here is a summary before I read the story to you. It begins with two fairies who are talking outside this fancy party. The fairies decide to give humanity a magical pair of boots that will grant the wishes of anyone wearing them. And so throughout the story, someone wishes to travel back in time. Someone wishes to be someone else. Someone wishes to visit the moon. Someone wishes to fly like a bird. And someone wishes to visit Italy. Now, of course, nothing goes as hoped with these magical boots. Overall, I wouldn't say that this is an uplifting story. It is funny parts, and it's definitely interesting overall, but mostly I'd say it's a story about not getting what you hope for. I know when things don't go my way, I can be a big baby, (laughs) and I, I think the world is out to get me. I need to realize that 
things just don't always work out the way I hoped. I can be too blindly optimistic because maybe I do secretly hope that the world is filled with little fairies waiting to grant my every wish. <laughs> That'd be nice. But it's not reality. Anyway, if you are able to listen to this story to the very end, then you will uncover the deep message of this curious tale. And if you drift off before that, then you get a good night's sleep. Sounds like a win-win. Anyway, I hope tonight's story distracts your squirrels, calms your mind, and does help you to fall asleep. Now one thing that may be keeping your squirrels up late at night is you worrying about your diet and overall nutrition. But don't fret your frazzled head because there is an all-in-one daily drink that supports better health and peak performance called Athletic Greens. And they are the sponsor of tonight's episode. You can think of Athletic Greens like nutritional insurance delivered straight to your door. I've been enjoying Athletic Greens for a few months now, and I truly enjoy the taste as well as the boost of my nutrition. Some ingredients are even reported to support sleep quality, like magnesium, zinc, and ashwagandha. And the Latin name for the ashwagandha plant even means sleep inducer. That there's a fun fact for your brain squirrels. <laughs> so if you want to take one nutritional formula that's going to help cover your daily nutritional basis, then order some Athletic Greens today by visiting athleticgreens.com slash whispers. You will also receive a free dropper bottle of liquid vitamin D with your first purchase for additional immune support. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash whispers. And for your ease, I put a link in the show notes. in Copenhagen, not far from the King of Denmark's new market, a very large party had assembled. One half of the company were already seated at the card tables. The other half were engaged in entertaining conversation. In the anteroom, in which cloaks, walking sticks, and boots were 
carefully placed, sat two maidens, one young and the other old. These were not common servants. Their shapes were too graceful, their complexions too delicate, and the cut of their dresses much too elegant. These were two fairies. The younger was a messenger for the great fairy of fortune. The elder one, looking kind of gloomy, was a messenger for the great fairy of sorrow. I must tell you, said the younger messenger of fortune, that today is my birthday, and in honor of it, I've been entrusted with a pair of boots to introduce to humans. These boots have the property of making everyone who puts them on imagine himself or herself in any place or any time. Every wish is fulfilled at the moment it is expressed, so that for once humans have the chance of being happy. No, replied the elder fairy, you can bet that whoever puts on these boots will be very unhappy and bless the moment in which they can get rid of them. What are you thinking of? replied the younger fairy. Now see, I will place them by the door. Someone will take them instead of their own boots, and they will be happier. This was the end of their conversation. The First Magic Traveler Later that night, Counselor Knapp, lost in thought about a prior king, and desiring to return home, accidentally put on the boots of fortune instead of his own. He walked out into the East Street, and he was at once carried back three hundred years. The magic power of the boots took him back to the times of King Hans, for which he'd been thinking about when he put the boots on. He immediately set his foot into the mud and mire of the street, which in those days possessed no pavement. Why, this is horrible. How dreadfully dirty it is, said the counselor. And the pavement has vanished, and the lamps are all out. Two men, in the dress of olden times, passed him by. What odd figures, he thought. They must be returning from some masquerade. He walked on through East Street and over High Bridge Place. The bridge, which he supposed led to Palace Square, was nowhere to be found, but instead he saw a bank and some shallow water and two people who sat in a boat. Does the gentleman wish to be ferried over the home? asked one. To the home, exclaimed the counselor, not knowing in what age he was now existing. I want to go to Christian's Haven in Little Turf Street. The men just stared at him, and the more he talked with the boatmen, the 
lest they could understand each other. I don't understand your outlandish talk, he cried at last, angrily turning his back upon them. He could not, however, find the bridge, nor any railings. What a scandalous condition this place is in, he said. Never had he found his own times so miserable as on this evening. I think it will be better for me to take a coach. But where are they? There was not one to be seen. He went towards East Street, where he expected to find the new market. Nothing was to be seen but an open meadow. I must be tipsy, groaned the counselor. What can it be? What is the matter with me? He turned back in the full conviction that he must be ill. In walking through the street this time, he examined the houses more closely. He found that most of them were built of lath and plaster, and many only had a thatched roof. I am certainly all wrong, he said, with a sigh. And yet, I only drank one glass of punch. Then he looked for the house that he came from, but he couldn't find it. This is really frightful. I can't even recognize East Street. Where in the world is the house? He reached a building that stood in the right location. He saw a light, and he went in. It was a tavern of the olden times, a kind of beer shop. A number of people sat in deep conversation over their mugs and took very little notice of the newcomer. He sat at a table, leaned his head on his hand, drew a deep breath, and pondered over this strange, confusing, and dirty place. Several patrons soon joined his table. They were rowdy, loud, and spoke of many strange things. Never before had he been in such rough and vulgar company. One might believe that the country was going back to heathenism, he observed. This is the most terrible moment of my life. Just then it came into his mind that he would stoop under the table and creep out the door. He tried it, but before he reached the entry, the patron seized him by the feet, and, luckily for him, off came the boots, and with them vanished the whole enchantment. The counselor now saw quite plainly a lamp and a large building behind it. Everything looked familiar and beautiful. He was back in East Street, as it now appears. He thought of all the terror and anxiety which he had undergone, and felt thankful from his heart for the reality and comfort of modern times, which, with all their errors, 
far better than those in which he so lately found himself. The second magic traveler. Well, I declare, there lies a pair of boots, said the watchman. These things must keep the feet very warm, he said. They're of such nice soft leather. He wondered if they belonged to the local lieutenant, who we often thought of as a very content and happy individual. He figured this because, unlike himself, the lieutenant didn't have a wife and children, so his days must be carefree, filled with fun activities, and lots of spare money. Then the watchman tried the boots on, and they fitted his feet exactly. At once, the watchman became the lieutenant and experienced the thoughts and feelings of the lieutenant. At that moment, though, the lieutenant was feeling heartbroken, lonely, and ironically thinking enviable thoughts about the watchman. The watchman in the street, he said, must be far happier than I am. He knows not what I call poverty. He has a home, a wife, and children who comfort his sorrow and rejoice in his joy. Oh, how much happier I should be could I change my position with him and pass through life with his humble expectations and hopes. At this moment, the watchman again became a watchman because he found himself less contented than he expected. He had preferred his former condition and wished himself again to be a watchman. That was an ugly dream, he said. I missed my wife and the little ones who are always ready to smother me with kisses. He sat down in deep thought while he looked up at the night sky. He gazed at the moon and wondered what it would be like to live there. He pondered the existence of moon people who must be different from earth people. Suddenly, the watchman seemed to be transported more than 200,000 miles to the moon. He observed himself on one of the circular range of moon mountains. He discovered a number of beings who were sort of like humans, but were also very different and had a language of their own. Curiously, the watchman understood the language of the inhabitants of the moon. They were arguing about Earth, and they doubted anyone lived there, and whether they could ever live there. The atmosphere, they asserted, must be too dense for any inhabitants. They maintained that the moon was probably the only heavenly body where people could live. They also talked about politics. 
experience was confusing and stressful to the watchman. He felt distraught and probably in danger. Although the watchman's mind was very much on the moon, his body was still on earth, lying very still where he put the magical boots on. A passerby saw his lifeless body and took him to the hospital. Naturally, the first thing done was to take off the boots, upon which the soul of the watchman instantly returned to his body. In a few seconds, the watchman slowly sat up. When he quite recovered himself, he declared that this had been the most dreadful night he had ever passed. Not for a hundred pounds would he go through such a feeling again. Although he was soon allowed to leave the hospital, the boots remained at the hospital. The Third Magic Traveler Although the boots of fortune were abandoned at the hospital, they soon found a new home at the office of lost and found articles. The office was overseen by a young clerk who felt bad for whoever lost these lovely boots. After several weeks, they remained unclaimed, so the clerk happily put them on and left the hospital at the end of his shift. He walked down the street, beaming in his new boots, while enjoying the sweet songs of birds in nearby trees. He watched some birds hop from branch to branch and then fly away. Flying is such a glorious power, he thought. Happy is he who was born with wings. I wish I could be a little lark and take to the open skies. At the same moment, his coattails and sleeves grew together and formed wings. His clothes changed to feathers and his boots to claws. He had shrunken down to the size and shape of a small bird. He flew up into the green branches and sang, although it wasn't quite as lovely as the other birds he'd heard. In another moment, all was darkness around him. It seemed as if something immense had been thrown over him. Sure enough, a sailor boy had flung his large cap over the bird and grabbed the clerk by the back and the wings so roughly that the clerk cried out in alarm, You impudent rascal, unhand me now. But the boy only heard, tweet, tweet, tweet. The boy just looked at the bird and walked away with him. When the boy arrived home, he put the clerk in an empty cage that hung in the living room. He told his aunt about the bird and then went back outside to see what other animals of wonder he could capture.
the clerk was dismayed to find himself stuck in a cage, and the aunt was dismayed to find herself babysitting a bird. The clerk begged the aunt for help. Please, dear lady, let me free. I'm just a poor clerk trapped in the body of this bird. But all she heard was... She threw a blanket over the cage, hoping it would quiet the noisy bird. The clerk noticed that the cage door wasn't latched, and slowly pushed it open, and pushed the blanket aside. Unfortunately, a large cat below saw the curious movement of the blanket, and was watching it closely. When the bird emerged, cat jumped up with excitement. The clerk flew erratically around the room in cold terror until finally craning out through an open window. He flew over many houses and through endless streets until he finally found his home. Once home, he alighted on a table. The bird took a deep breath of relief and said, Goodness gracious, I wish I was a man again. The clerk took his human form again and found himself sitting on the table with his legs dangling over the side. He looked down at the boots suspiciously. He took them off, placed them by his front door, and was unsure of what to do with them. The Fourth Magic Traveler The following morning, a young divinity student knocked on the clerk's door. May I borrow some boots? he asked. I need to replant some of my grapevines, and the ground is too sticky for my shoes. The clerk happily and quickly handed the boots to the student and told him that he could keep them. The student stood outside the clerk's house with great joy and put on his new boots. They fit snugly and even gave his feet a happy little tingle. He got right to work in his garden, resetting his grapevines onto new trellises. His goal was to make some Italian-style wine. He loved everything about Italy and longed to visit some day. Gosh, I wish I was in Italy right now, he said aloud, while attaching some vines to the new trellis. His feet suddenly tingled even more strongly, and the landscape whirled and changed all around him. Looking around in bewilderment, he saw buildings, streets, canals, small walking bridges, and landscapes that sure looked a lot like Italy. If this was a dream, he was going to enjoy it. He smiled and started walking down the street towards a nearby canal. Beautiful fruit trees lined the street. He walked over to 
through the trees to see what type of fruit they contained. He never did find out, because what they also contained was lots of flying insects. Flies, gnats, and bees all surrounded him, as if they were protecting the fruit trees. He ran as quickly as he could, but not before he received several stings and swallowed several gnats. He dodged inside a local cafe, which, to his delight, had just finished hosting a banquet and was giving away leftover food. They gave him a tray with soup, eggs, and wine. His stomach danced with delight. The dance, however, didn't last long. The soup was watery, seasoned with peppercorns and rancid oil. The eggs were musty, and he had to force them down. Even the wine had a strange taste, like several sour wines had been mixed together to result in a sharp vinegar aftertaste. The sun was beginning to set, and he trusted that nothing could spoil a lovely view of an Italian sunset. He walked to a nearby footbridge that arched over a narrow canal. At the top, he leaned on the bridge railing and marveled at the sights around him. He was even impressed by this little bridge. He noticed that when he walked up it, that it was made mostly of thick, arching glass, so you could look down and see the canal underneath the bridge. As he stared through the glass surface to the lapping canal water underneath, he saw some raindrops land on the glass. Not wanting to get caught in a big rainstorm, he figured it would be a good time to leave the bridge and find some shelter. The student didn't study physics, though, or else he would have known better than to walk intrepidly on a wet, angled, glass surface. As soon as he took his first step to descend down the other side of the bridge, his foot shot out from underneath him, and he slipped. The student slid all the way down to the bottom and landed in some Italian mud. He still didn't realize the danger of walking on wet glass. Instead, he blamed the boots. Dumb boots, he yelled. I just want to go home. Then he ripped off the boots and chucked them towards the canal. He never saw the boots land in the canal because he was suddenly whisked back to his home. Even if he had stayed in Italy, he never would have seen the boots land in the canal. As the boots were flying through the air, the elder fairy appeared and grabbed them right before they hit the water. She smiled mischievously and pondered where she would next place the boots, which of course were not truly boots of fortune.
misfortune. They were just boots. Boots that did magically create a brief alternate reality. But the boots allowed that reality to unravel as it naturally would. The true problem for the people wearing these boots were their high expectations. This is the end of tonight's storytime episode. I hope you are 